as I think about the power of words, the power to bruise and the power to heal, to incite and divide, to calm and connect, to create an effect, words fashioned with influence and might make you hear, make you see, make you feel. Words are living, careful things. Whether spoken or written today or 3,000 years ago, they breathe today as they did before. They can start a great love, start a great war. Their echoes are endless. Words define the heart, ignite movements, and sometimes less is more. In this case, it's just 16 words. Did you know that most of the world doesn't give a flip about Jesus? I mean, he, he never even crosses their minds. And yet, though most people don't care about him, don't think about him, they desperately need him. And there's the paradox. Every single person alive desperately needs Jesus, and most never consider him. Jesus is the answer for what they're looking for, but the real Jesus is invisible, unknown to most. And this is why God has given us our mission. Our mission for those of us who truly know Jesus Christ, our mission can be expressed simply in six words. Wake the world up to Jesus. Wake the world up to Jesus. Why? Because without him, they have nothing. Even if they have everything, they have nothing that they're looking for because Jesus is life and fullness, and yet most never consider it. Wake the world up to Jesus. Now, six easy words. The only problem is not so easily accomplished. I mean, because we think, who am I to wake the world up to Jesus? Who am I to... I can't even get my husband to do what I want him to do, right? I can't even get my wife to do what I want her to do. I can't get my kids to do what they want to do. Don't worry, there's a relationship series coming after Easter. But wake the world up to Jesus. How do we, how do we wake the world up to that which they don't even care about? And it gets worse, just so you know. How are we going to wake the world up to Jesus in light of what the Bible tells us and our experience confirms about our world? We live in a world that loves the darkness. I mean, it's their preference. They prefer it. They, they see their way as better than his way. Preferable. Look at how Jesus said it in John three nineteen. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. So we're supposed to wake the world up to Jesus, to the light, when the world prefers itself without Jesus. It prefers the darkness. Not so easy. How are we going to do it? And just so you know, this preference for darkness isn't just a challenge and a tension point in the lives of people who've yet to follow Christ. It is a challenge and a tension point in the life of each and every one of us who have decided to follow Christ. We have a natural propensity and tendency towards our own way, towards darkness. There was a guy named Demas who had chosen to follow Christ, and the Apostle Paul invested a ton of time in this guy, and yet ultimately he bore out what each and every one of us can bear out in our lives if we're not careful. Look at 2 Timothy 4.10. Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. Every single one of us has this challenge with preferring our own way to God's way, preferring that which seems comfortable and convenient for us than what is right by God's standard, we live in a world that loves the darkness. How are we going to wake them up to the light? We live in a world that doesn't just love darkness, it's blind to the light. How are we going to wake them up to Jesus and his light when they're literally blind to the light? Second Corinthians 4, 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they can't even see the light of the gospel, the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know what that's saying? 
Not only is God the Father not the God of this age and culture, the evil one is, but he's done such a great job at deception that people can't even see the light when it's right in front of their eyes. This is why they didn't recognize Jesus when he walked on this planet. In fact, here's how they see it. They see darkness as light, and they see light as darkness. They see their immorality as the true morality, and anyone who carries the morality or proclaims the morality of Jesus as the immoral ones. They see their bondage as freedom, and the freedom that comes with Christ as true bondage. I mean, they're blind to the light, and we're supposed to wake them up to Jesus? How are we supposed to do that? Not only is this world a world that loves their darkness and is blind to the light, but but when the light really shines on them, they become hostile to it. We live in a world that's hostile, hostile to the light. How are we going to wake them up to the light, wake them up to Jesus? And, And Jesus put it right down on the bottom shelf in John 15, 18. He says, if the world hates you, hey, no surprise, keep in mind, It hated me first. Here's what happens. They hate it when the true light shines because it reveals them for who they really are. It penetrates the images we portray of ourselves and the perceptions we put out there and the masks that we wear. And when that which we do everything to hide so we can maintain respectability is brought to the surface, it doesn't just reveal ourselves to the world. It reveals who we really are to ourselves and we hate it and we respond that way. We live in a world that is contrary to light and we as believers are supposed to be waking this world up to that light, to Jesus. How are we supposed to be doing this? Easier said than done, right? And yet this is our task. This is our purpose. This is what will bring meaning to us. This is what will bring change to our world. The answer is given very clearly in the Bible. How are we supposed to wake this world up who really is hostile towards the light? The answer is we wake this world up by our lives and then by our words. The way we live our lives, the way we allow Jesus to live through us, the transformation he brings and how we experience life and how we treat one another ultimately then opens people up to want to hear our words. Jesus said it. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before men. Let your light shine in this world of darkness before men. How? Through your good deeds. Now, the Bible makes it clear none of us are good on our own. So this means let Jesus do his good work in you and let that good work show out. Let him sculpt goodness in you and let that goodness out. In so doing, in living it out, you're being light in the world. And the ultimate result will be that they'll see your good deeds and they'll become people who praise the Father in heaven themselves. Even though they're preferring darkness and even though they're blind to the light and they see their darkness as light and even though they get hostile when they're first exposed to light when they see in your life what they long for in theirs when they see a joy even in the midst of tragedy and despair when they see hope in the midst of hopelessness when they see a purpose a meaning in life when they see a willingness to forgive even the most unforgivable thing when they see your light shine They'll want that light in their life. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter was trained by Jesus, and he says it this way, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Boy, if Jesus is Lord of your life instead of you being Lord of your life, if you're living his way instead of your way, your light's going to shine. The good deeds are going to be pouring forth. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who then asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And do this with gentleness and respect. He's saying, if you let your light shine in this world that can be hostile towards light, in this world that can be blind to light, in this world that can prefer darkness, when you're living out this life that they're longing for and not experiencing in all they do, they're going to say, why do you live this way? How come you have a hope that I don't have? How come you have a life that I don't have? How come you have a fullness I don't have? What is it about you? And that's the moment when we can say, Jesus, they've woken up to Jesus. If 
by our lives and then through our words. Now, as you know, there's a lot of religion in the world, a lot. And as you know, many people blame a lot of the junk in the world on religion. And if we're honest, there's some validity to that. Religion is very often expressed in hatred and venomous ways. Religion can create unbelievable destruction in this world and has, and there's a lot of it going on. As you know, there are a lot of churches that claim to represent Christ in this world, represent Jesus in this world, and you need to know that a church isn't a building, a steeple, a church isn't an organization or organizational statements the church's people and every single church is simply a reflection of the people that make up that church and so the lives of the people who make up a church is ultimately what that church reflects into the world the life of the people who attend Northridge Church are ultimately what Northridge Church really is in spite of what I or anyone else says and there are many churches that claim to represent Christ in this world the problem is that many sometimes sincerely and sometimes not, go about it in the wrong way. And this isn't just true in other churches. This is also at times true in this church because this church is a reflection of not just a couple of people but all the people who attend here we become associated with. And so many, sometimes sincerely and sometimes not, go about trying to reflect Christ in this world in the wrong way. And in so doing, They do more harm than good. operating message of that entire video music montage was seen on that one church sign that said, if you don't love God, go to hell. Great reflection of Jesus, right? In so much of what is said and done in seeking to represent Christ in this world, they're they're not shining the light. They're just spewing more hatred. In so much of what's going on in the name of Jesus today, it's not showing what Jesus said we should show, the light, good deeds, which will ultimately lead people to praise God. It's showing evil and hatred in the name of Jesus. It doesn't lead people to praise God. It leads people to run from Him and ultimately despise him and disbelieve anything about him. This doesn't cause people to ask, what's the reason for the hope Christians have? 
This kind of representation of Christ asks people why Christians are filled with so much hatred and bitterness and anger. It's, it's the opposite of what God's called us to. We're supposed to be and do differently in this world. And in my opinion, when this is how, whether sincerely or insincerely, we represent Christ, it's sad, it's tragic, and it's inexcusable. It doesn't wake the world up to Jesus. It just wakes the world up to what it already knows, darkness, hostility. Now, interestingly, some of what's being said in that video music montage is absolutely true. Just Bible verses on placards, passages of Scripture which are truth and meant to set people free, meant to draw people to God instead of push them away from God. But the vile and hateful way those true words are being communicated is untrue. In fact, it's his love ultimately that will win people it's his love that ultimately allows people to see what's true. I, you need to know, it is absolutely possible to speak truth in a way that makes it as bad or even worse than a lie. When you speak his truth in a way that is spiteful, it pushes people away from the very truth you're trying to draw them to. Here's the truth. God's heart breaks over the tragic consequences of people who are rejecting him, who are living without him. He's not up there excited about hell and suffering and judgment and wrath. If he was, he would have never come to die for this suffering world. It's his love, his unconditional love, that ultimately will draw people to him and not hatred, which repels them. A great example of this in the Bible is found in a woman who was literally caught in the act of adultery, making a very, very immoral choice in a moment of her life, and was caught by some religious leaders in the act and hauled away from the scene of the crime and thrown into the streets half-naked before the world. And these representing God's truth, even quoting the right words of truth, but literally spewing lies because of the tone and the intention and the hatred with which they did it, looked at the rabbi and said, here's what the truth says. Sin causes death, so we should kill her. And he says, well, that's true. So if you've never sinned, go ahead, kill her. They all walked away. And then instead of looking down with a placard of truth, instead of looking down in venomous fashion, he looked down with love, and he didn't affirm her choices. He didn't say it's okay to live however you want, but he loved her and picked her up and says, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. You need to go and sin no more. His love forever transformed this woman. Sadly, most people never see his love. They see hatred and venom and people using truth to beat each other up and condemn instead of redeem and lead them to freedom. They see people in images like we just saw in that video. So how in this world where people are already so messed up are we going to wake people up to Jesus? It's not by using the same methods and the same tactics that they use. It's not by becoming like them. It's by becoming like Jesus. If we're going to wake the world up to Jesus... The very first step can be stated in four words. We need to show them his love. We need to show them his love. Four words. Now, we have a lot of engineers who come here, CPAs and accountants and people who are into details and numbers and other stuff that doesn't matter. And um, <laughs> just kind of kidding. Um, but... I just need to show you that I really have graduated from kindergarten. And so since we're doing this series called 16 Words, expressing the heart of what God has called every believer to be and the heart of what God is calling Northridge to be in 16 words, I just need to point this out. Last week, the mission in six words, wake the world up to Jesus. This week, the first step in four words, show them his love. Now, get ready to be impressed. That's 10. Six more to go. Show them his love. Show them his love. Show them his love. 
simple but profound. Four words easy to remember, but four words so difficult to live out. And yet look what Jesus said in John 13, 35. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you hold up placards and tell them if they don't love God, they're going to hell. Now, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And this is what he did. He showed the world his love. Romans 5.8, God demonstrated, God demonstrates, God shows his own love for us in this way. While we were still sinners, and in the same passage, Romans 5, he declares sin as rebellion, sinners as his enemies. God shows his own love for us in this way. While we are still his enemies, while we are still obnoxious in our behavior towards him, he doesn't hate us. He loves us. Christ died for us. And his love is personal. He died for us, me and you, because we need it. If we're going to wake this world up to Jesus, there's only one way in a world that's blind to it and hostile towards it and thinks they prefer darkness to light. There's only one way. We need to show them his love. But to show them his love, we need to know his love. I mean, 1 John 4.19 says it. The only way we can ultimately love is because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. We can know the words of his truth. We can write them on placards and we can say them in a memorized fashion, but we will say them in a way that belies their very truthfulness. We will say them in hatred and in poisonous terms unless we have experienced the freedom that comes from those words, unless we've experienced his love. In order to show the world his love, We need to know his love, which tells me so many people claiming to know Jesus don't know him at all. They know his words. They know his biography. They know his story. They might know songs about him, but they don't know him because you can't know true love without wanting to share it. It's like the difference between someone who's experienced the unbelievable beauty and intimacy that comes in doing marriage right and the difference in someone who's only experienced more hurt and more betrayal and more pain in their marriage. The person that's experienced true intimacy and love in marriage, when they talk about marriage, you want in. You want in. Man, that's what I want. But when you listen to someone talk about marriage who's only experienced pain and brokenness through it, you want out or you want to stay out. So many are talking about Jesus in terms that drive us away because so many are talking about Jesus without truly experiencing him. Now, you may have experienced him at a time in your life, but there's no way you can be spewing hatred and experiencing his love at the same time. There's just no way. How are we going to show them his love? We have to know his love. We love because he first loved us. Do you? I'm talking to believers here. This isn't a message yet for unbelievers. This is for believers. Are you experiencing his love? so that you can show it on a daily basis? Are you experiencing intimacy with him so that you can share that intimacy with others? Are you? Now, some of us might be here and you've never experienced this love ever, turned off by religion, turned off by the hatred and the junk that goes on in life, but attracted to who Jesus really is. You need to know Jesus is real in spite of how so many sincerely or insincerely represent him. Jesus is real and you need him. And the rest of this talk is about how to live out and express his love once you know it. And so this would be the point at which you need to step into it if you're going to this weekend. And so I'm going to ask you in just a moment to bow your heads with a word of prayer. But for anyone who's not a guest, you've been here before, you're looking at your watches and your iPhones and at your droids if they're working. And and (laughs) you're wondering, is it already done? No. It's not already done. We can pray in the middle of the talk sometimes, and that's what we're going to do right now. And so I'm going to invite you, if you would, just to bow your heads with me in a word of prayer. And as we do, if you're a believer already, I, I believe you should respond as I've had to in light of these truths. 
and start talking to God about how maybe you haven't been experiencing or expressing his love. But if you're here and you've not yet experienced it ever, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Invite him into your love. Let his love transform you. Just take my words and make them yours in your heart. Say, God, I'm opening myself up to experience what I need, your love. You showed it when you died on the cross for my sin. I've sinned against you. I'm guilty. And the wage of my sin is death, but Jesus, you died in my place. By faith, I'm asking you to forgive me. You rose again to give me new life. I'm claiming that life in Jesus' name by faith. Amen. If you just prayed with me and you're in one of our services at Northridge, Northridge Plymouth, Northridge Brighton Hall, Northridge Ann Arbor Saline, I encourage you to take out the program that you were handed when you came in. It's just a simple program. It says 16 words on the front. Inside is a perforated card. And it's a connection card, we call it. Just fill it out so that we can get information back to you. And on the bottom, check that mark that says, Today I prayed to receive Jesus. Because if you did, we want to send you a letter that will give you next steps to navigating this relationship with God you've just begun. And all you have to do is drop it in a box as you're leaving any of the auditorium spaces. And if you're watching Church Online, we're thrilled to connect with you. Just hit the What Next button. We'll do the same thing for you. If we're going to show the world His love, we need to know His love, do you? But it doesn't stop there. If we're going to show the world His love, I mean really show them His love, then we need to know them. We need to know them. If we're going to show them his love, then once we know his love, we need to know them, or else how else are we going to show them? We need to know them. And this is a very important reality of how we wake the world up to Jesus. It's by caring enough to step into their life, by not walking by them and being satisfied with being isolated from them, but by knowing them. Look at, if you would, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans. What's that mean? We're supposed to live good lives. Remember what good lives are? Good lives show the light. The good deeds, the transformation that Jesus is doing in you starts showing themselves on the outside and he's saying, live these good lives among the pagans, those people who don't know God, who don't believe God, who are blind to the light, hostile to the light. Live good lives among them. And then even though they accuse you of doing wrong, they're going to see your good deeds, the light, and ultimately they themselves will glorify God on the day he visits. He's simply saying this, if you live out the love and light of Jesus people who hate you and despise you to begin with will so long for what you have that they'll ultimately want to know what it is. And that's how their lives will be woken up to Jesus. The application of this whole thing is the way we wake the world up to Jesus is by our lives and then our words. We have to show them his love, but first we have to know them. Here's the big question. I hope if you walk out of here this weekend or walk away from this talk, if you're watching church online this weekend, asking this question, who's my them? Who's my them? Because very often we think in terms of the world, you know. We're supposed to wake the world up to Jesus. Well, six billion people in the world can't do that. We're supposed to show the world our love. And we're all into this. We're into this impersonal, universal love thing. I'm, God loves the world. So do I. I'm, I love them all. Jesus loves them all. It's just that when it gets personal, when it demands sacrifice and service and help and interaction, when it demands we go out of our way, when someone's hurting us there, then all of a sudden we're not so into the love thing but showing them his love isn't them who don't know you. It's them who do know you. It's not those who don't affect you. It those, it's those who do affect you. We need to know our them. Who's your them? If you cannot put a name in the workplace to you showing someone love, then you're not. This isn't abstract. This is specific. Who's your them at work that you're showing his love to? Who's your them in the family that you're showing his love to? Who's your them in your neighborhood? Sad reality, most of us don't even know them. No wonder we're not waking them up.
to show them his love. We need to know his love, but then we need to know them. And then we need to choose to show them. It's a choice because it doesn't come naturally to show his love. It comes naturally to protect our world. And so once we know his love, we're going to step out of our isolation and know them. And once we know them, then we need to choose to show them his love. Look at how Jesus did it in Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus went, and that word went is very important. He went. He tells us to go. He set the example. Jesus went. He left his comfort zone and went into the world. He went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And then because he went, he saw. When he saw, because he went, when he stepped out of his world into their world, he saw the crowds. He had compassion on them. In other words, he loved them. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to go into our world and we're supposed to know them and see them. And we're not supposed to walk by. We're supposed to do what he did. We're supposed to show compassion on them. We're supposed to show them his love. Why? He did it because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And so many people look at that and say, that's an odd transition. It's weird. He's talking about helpless and all this different stuff. By the way, the harvest is plentiful. You know what he's saying? The world is filled with helpless and harassed people. The world is filled with hurting and broken people. The world is filled with them. There's no shortage. You know what the shortage is? The shortage is of the people who are experiencing his love. The shortage is among the people who are willing to know those hurting and broken people, to not walk by them but to love them. The shortage is found in the people who are willing to make the choice to show them his love. Pray that God would send people into this harvest. That's our job, to show them his love. And so this is the whole deal. Wake the world up to Jesus. How? First step forward, show them his love. And this is important to me because it's not good enough for me to have a general principle. I need to have a specific action, right? And so, okay, the general principle, wake the world up to Jesus. Specific action, show them his love. Both biblical, both important. But for me, I'm pretty good at rationalizing. I'm pretty good at saying, yeah, I'm doing that. In fact, I'm really doing a good job at that. And I can rationalize even bad behavior to be good behavior. Anybody else like me in this place? Can you rationalize your bad behavior to be good behavior? Sure. So I have to ask myself a follow-up question. Okay, if this is what I'm supposed to do, wake the world up to Jesus by specifically showing them, knowing my them, knowing them by name, and choosing to show them love, what does success really look like? I mean, if I'm really doing this, don't ask me a general question because I'll give you a general answer. I'm awesome. If you really want the right answer, ask me a specific answer that challenges me to the truth of who I am. What does success look like? Because I believe right now, everyone listening to this talk, you're giving yourself a pass. You're going, I'm good on this. Next talk. I don't think we're all so good as we think. What does success look like? Well, Jesus put it right on the bottom shelf in Matthew 7. Look at verse 16. It's by their fruit, by the consequence of their life, by what they demonstrate and how they live that you will recognize them. You see, every good tree, remember that word good? That's how we shine light, the good deeds that lead people to praise the Father, the good deeds that represent love and compassion. Every good tree transformed by Jesus bears good fruit. You'll recognize him by that fruit, but every bad tree, every tree that's not experiencing his love, not making the right choices, bears bad fruit. It's by your, their fruit you will recognize them. So it's not found in asking me how I'm doing at this. It's found in asking the people in my world how I'm doing at this. By walking into my family and saying, is this guy for real? And they'd say, yeah, he's insane, but he's for real. It's by walking into the workplace and asking people, is this how he's living? If you want to know how you're doing at showing them his love, ask them. It's the people in your workplace who know. It's the people in your family who know. It's the people in your neighborhood who know whether you even know them or not. By their fruit, you'll know them. What's your fruit look like? Let's go further. What does success look like if 
I'm showing them his love. What does success look like here in our personal lives? What's it look like in our personal lives? Well, look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 10. He was actually asked. He was talking about how we're supposed to love our neighbor. We're supposed to love our neighbor. We're supposed to show them love. And, you know, some religious fanatic said, you know, well, who's our neighbor that I'm supposed to love? I mean, he, like he didn't know. We know. We're just trying to justify our behavior. We're trying to off-put the truth because we want to run from it. Look what Jesus says. All right, you want to know? Let me tell you a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest, you know, a religious representative of God, passed by on the other side, ignored him. So to a Levite, another religious guy, passed by on the other side, didn't care. But a Samaritan, know this, a Samaritan was considered invaluable in their day. Not such a great person. Less. But a Samaritan, Jesus says, someone you don't naturally respect, as he traveled, came where this man was and didn't walk by him but when he saw him he took pity on him he went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine and then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him and then Jesus asked these people who were filled with rabid hatred enough to kill him Jesus says so who's the one was loving the neighbor they, they couldn't miss the point because it's by their fruit you'll know them and they had to say, well, it's the Samaritan dude. Yeah. Let me ask you, who are you more like, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? It's a simple question, and you know. And this isn't a message of judgment. I'm not sitting here condemning you. I'm having to look at myself and realize how far short I fall. But if we're really showing them his love, there will be fruit of it. You see, the hurting guy in this story Jesus told represents everyone in our world, everyone in our world, our world, our families, our workplaces, our communities, our sphere of influence. It represents every one of them who's hurting, broken, lost, and needing help, needing Jesus. They are our them. We have to stop walking by them. We have to start showing them his love. And when we do, they'll want to know why. They'll want to know why we care, why we noticed, why we're going out of our way to help. And we'll be able to give them the answer that they would never think of on their own, that would never cross their mind. We'll be able to say, I'm only stopping for one reason. Jesus Jesus. When we show them his love, we wake them up to Jesus. What does success look like in our personal lives? It looks like the people around us knowing there's something different about us because we're not walking by. We're stopping and caring. We're showing them his love. Does that describe you? Are you showing them his love? What's it look like in our church? What does success look like in our church? And know this, church isn't a reflection, I've already said it, of an organizational aspiration. Church is a reflection of us. And so if every one of us is successful in our personal lives, this church will be successful. And what will it look like? Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They shared. They were so generous, ultimately, because of what Jesus did in them, that this is how their light shone. They sold their possessions and their goods, and they gave to anyone as they had need. They sacrificed to meet the needs of others. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Let me read that again. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. So we're changing our ministry schedule. No, I'm just kidding. Every day, they continued to meet. They, they longed to be together because of what Jesus was doing in them. They longed to get together, and then they, they longed for even more, and so they got together in smaller groups. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And, and here was the result. It sounds like Matthew five sixteen, And they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people because they were letting their light shine. They were living out their good deeds, and it was leading people to praise God. And as a result, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What would a church look like what would our church like look like if it was successful? Well, it would look like that. I, 
I just want to give you a glimpse because so much goes on behind the scenes that you're not aware of. You think it's a production every weekend and that's all. This is a church family seeking to show the compassion of Jesus in the world. And I just want to give you a glimpse of 2012 this last year. It's worth staying for. First of all, last year, there were 2,406 of our church family who personally, with time, invested in serving the poor in Detroit and in the metropolitan area through prison ministries and soup kitchens and city missions and orphan care and churches that we have partnership with in Detroit. 2,406 people showing them his love. Big deal. Next one. We, we know that Jesus told us, you want to show them my love? Help feed them if they're hungry. And so we collected 26,000 pounds of food last year and filled a bunch of food warehouses around so that we could feed the hungry. Why? To show them his love. In soup kitchens, we prepared as a congregation 2,080 meals. And we have people who worked on a garden this last summer and produced five tons of fresh vegetables. Why? to show them his love. The next slide shows that we had a bunch of people take trips to 16 different places around the world, which was very costly. They had to pay for, and then time-wise had to invest in to go share the love of Jesus in countries all around the world. Why? To show them his love. And what are people asking over there? Why would you care enough to come? Next one. Last Christmas, we took an, a special offering above and beyond our regular giving. People here give every single week to make ministry happen here. But then above and beyond regular giving, our people gave $560,000. All of it to help other people. Half of it to create satellites where we can share the truth in communities far away from where we are right here and then half of it to pure compassion, water and shelter and clothing and education in the name of Jesus around the world. 560,000. Why did these people give so much above their regular giving? To show them his love. Next one. We then spent 40000 on top of everything else we did in Detroit and, and 40000 in our surrounding areas because you can't jump over your own communities to help the world or else you're being negligent. And so we invested right here in our own communities above and beyond financially. The next one. 2,608 children were sponsored in our two communities in Zambia this past year, which will produce each year an income that allows us to totally transform and redevelop those communities in Zambia. Why? To show them his love. And then some of you caught such fire that you ran the marathon, and thank God none of you died doing it. And 228 ran the marathon, and they got people to support that effort, and they raised 548,000 for clean water for these people in our communities in Zambia, which is going to transform lives. And then this next slide. This last year, in the region of the world that is economically depressed and has been for quite a while, this world where our homes, many of them are turned upside down, and we owe more than we we will ever get from those homes. In this community, we last year upped the ante on our generous giving to $2.3 million to generosity around the world, which is close to upwards towards 20% of the income of this church around the world. And, and why would we do that? to show them his love. And you know what the impact in Acts was when they started being this kind of generous, experiencing his love, and then, and then knowing the thems around them, and then showing them his love. Do you know what started happening? They started wanting to be together more and more and more. It built their community. And here at Northridge, the next slide shows that we have now over 5,000 adults and growing in small group, going home to home saying, we need more community to inspire and stir us up to love and good works. And the final result in Acts 2 the Lord was adding people to his family, to his kingdom. And here at Northridge, the next slide shows last year, 2,439 decisions were made spiritually. Why? Because people are seeing his love. That's a big deal. Now, now, some of you are saying, oh my gosh, what is this, a brag fest? No. Because all of that was done by an extremely small percentage of the people who come to Northridge. On a percentage basis, 
very few people participated. We're a community of like 20,000 attenders. And very few were involved. This isn't a brag fest. I'm proud of those who were invested. I'm proud of those who sacrificed to show them as love. I'm proud of those people who cared about their neighbors enough to show them as love and cared enough about people stalled on the highway to show them as love, to stop and show them as love. I care about everything we did this last year, but I'm just telling you, not many were involved in it, which means we could have rocked the world. If this happened with few, imagine what could have happened with all we could have, if we showed our many worlds, knew them and showed them his love, we could have combined our little universes together and literally transformed the world. But too many of us were like the priest and the Levite, driving right by, too busy being spiritual to be good. We need to experience his love know our them, and then show them as love. We need to step into our world and we'll change it. Personally, imagine what would happen if all of us went into our little worlds to wake them up to Jesus and show them our love. If we went into our families, they'd change. Our workplaces, they'd change. Our communities, they'd change. We'd change the world. You know what we'd need? We'd need more seats here at Northridge Plymouth. We'd need more seats at Northridge Brighton Howell and Ann Arbor St. We'd need more campuses and more communities around. We'd need more services in all of our locations. I'd have to speak more times. If this ever happens, we're going to video, I'm telling you right now. But we'd, we'd need more. Why? Because it's about bringing them in? No. That's not what it's about. It's because if we all go into our world and show them his love, they will want to be a part of a community of love like that. We won't have to try and manipulate them in. We won't be able to stop them from coming in because we're going out the right way, showing them his love. It's not about bringing them in. It's about us going out, but when that happens, they're going to want to be a part. Are you waking your world up to Jesus and showing them his love? Who's begging to be a part of your spiritual community because of your life? great example is we're coming up to the glory of Christmas and we've put on a year's worth of work to put this on. It's going to be a spectacular event. I believe if we were really waking our worlds up to Jesus, we'd have to have 25 performances of the glory of Christmas because so many people would be want to see this Jesus of hope of ours. Are you, is there even one person in your circle of thems that you've invited and that's coming? Even one This Christmas, we're going to do something a little different, and then I'm going to um, wrap. This, this Christmas, we're going to take an offering above and beyond again, but it's going to be above and, and beyond because we really want to show the world our love, the love that Jesus put in us. Last year, I sat with a family, a little over a year ago, I sat with a family in Zambia, and here they're telling me, the, the dad, the mom, the kids are telling me about how their little daughter, their little sister died. Died of something that none of our kids and grandkids will ever die of. And the only reason this child died of malaria was because they had no access to medical assistance of any kind, to medical information and to medical assistance. They had none. If this happened to one of my daughters or granddaughters, I'm telling you, it would mess me up forever. This is their daughter. It should mess us up forever. And so right then and there, I said, this should not be happening. I know people are going to die. People die in America. But people should not die of things that are unnecessary. If we're showing them his love, it won't happen. So... We realize they don't have access to medical, so we have to create. Is there a way to create access to medical? And we've put some key people here in, in World Vision USA, World Vision Zambia on this thing, and we've realized, yeah, what we need to do is build a medical network of outposts that put little clinics really close to 
these people. And then transportation systems, if the sickness calls for it, to get them to a rural hospital that we can build and staff and all that different stuff. And then no one will die unnecessarily because we're showing them his love. And right then and there I said, we've got to do this. And we found out it's within our reach. Do you realize to do this, to save lives, it would only cost $2.5 million. $2.5 million. And this is how I think. You're going to realize how I think. Last year, we gave $560,000 for Christmas offering. $560,000. I thought the next natural step was $2.5 million. It just sounded reasonable to me. Sounds reasonable if we, because so few were involved in the last one, and I'm so proud of those of you who were, but so few were involved. If we just get everyone involved, this is a no brainer. And it's all about showing them his love. And you know, you say, yeah, but Zambia, look at, if we have that kind of generosity in our heart to help Zambia, do you know how it's going to affect our lives here? Do you know how it's going to affect our families here? Do you know how it's going to infect because we can't keep it quiet in our workplaces? It's going to create this thing and we're not going to be known as that large church, which is pitiful. We're going to be known as that compassionate and generous church, which is Jesus-like. And it's because we're showing them his love. We can do it. Now, just so you know, you're going to be getting information on this in the mail. It's going to be sent out. It'll be on the web. So there's a lot of time for action steps. But I just want you to know, this vision is so compelling to show them his love that one family at Northridge Church, one, one family out of the 20,000 active attendants, one family has already said, we commit 1,250,000 half of what it's going to take to build that hospital network over there already. That's awesome. Now, they've, they've committed it on this basis. If we, one family, can commit half, the rest of the families can certainly make up the other half. And so it's as a match. As we give, they give. We can do that this Christmas if we know his love, if we know our thems, and if we choose to show them our love. And don't get me wrong on this. This isn't about giving at Christmas and it's done. This is about a lifestyle of showing love. It's the natural outgrowth of someone who shows everyone in their world love. Why not show everyone in the world love? and we will change the world. If we decide to show them love this way, we're going to change the world in the name of Jesus. Now, compare this with the video you saw earlier. What changes the world more? A bunch of placards spewing hate, even with truthful words, or a bunch of people showing the world Jesus' love and then communicating the truth. Here's my final thought. When it comes to waking the world up to Jesus and showing them his love, when it comes to doing that, failure is not an option. It's not an option. But success means you and me. So let's all of us commit to waking the world up to Jesus, showing them his love, and then they'll want to know the reason for our hope. And we'll have one really good answer. Jesus. Take them with you as you leave. God bless you. Thanks for being here.